Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 15 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge First Draft Edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Um, I just want to talk yesterday a little bit about we had Hank and Maurice on yesterday and Maurice was having some trouble with his mic, which is too bad. Those two writers are such amazing supporters of other writers. So I did want to get a shout out to them. Hank Philippi Bryant shows up at every reading event in Boston possible. And so she's just an incredible friend to writers. And I would also check out Maurice's Twitter at Maurice Rufin, and as well as his Substack, uh, Sitting in Silence, because he's got such beautiful things to say about writing. And they're also very positive and supportive. Um, so I would really look at that as, as well. So today we're starting our point of view week. We're starting into our third week. And we're talking specifically about the pros and cons of using first person for your narrator. We've got Maya Schonbug Lang is, uh, she's the author of What We Carry, and it was named a New York Times Editor's Choice and Best Book of 2020 by Amazon, Parade, Times of India, bookshop.org, and others. She is also the author of The 16th of June, long listed for the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize, and hailed a must-read novel by CBS and InStyle. She holds a PhD in comparative literature and lives with her daughter in New York. Lauren Ancampora is the author of The Wonder Garden, winner of the GL, uh, GLCA New Writers Award, and a finalist for the New England Book Award, and The Paper Wasp, longlisted for the Center for Fiction's first novel prize. Her most recent novel, The Hundred Waters, was named a best book of 2022 by Vogue. Lauren is a 2021 NYSCA, NYFA Artist Fellow in Fiction from the New York Foundation for the Arts. Her writing has appeared in uh, Paris Review, Guernica, the New York Times Book Review, Lit Hub, among others. She lives in Westchester County, New York with her husband and daughter. All right, thank you so much, ladies, both of you for coming on early in the morning. We don't even know what time it is. We don't actually really know what we're doing. That's okay, that's the whole process here. We're just trying to get people out, wake people up, get them inspired and get them back to their writing desk. So first person in fiction, why use it? Um, why avoid it maybe? Um, Lauren, I'm going to start with you, and then we'll go to Maya, and then we'll go back and forth. And, and people in the chat, you can feel free to also ask questions as we go along. Okay, Lauren, what do you think? Hi. What is? Why do you use first person, and what's been your experience? And have you had any troubles with it? Uh, yes, to all of the above. Yes, I I love first person in the right uh, in the right at the right time. Um, my the reason that I love it that I find it. Um, to be a great tool is when it, it gives an intimacy with the character that no other point of view can do. You're inside, you're literally inside their head. You see the world solely through their point of view uh, for better or worse. And it can be for better, I think, if the uh, character has a very particular angle on the world that, um, that you wanna capture as fully as possible. And uh, they might be, idiosyncratic in some way and you want to really fully inhabit their mind uh, and the main thing that the first point person offers that no other point of view can give you and that can make a novel just take off is voice yeah and so uh to really capture a specific um unique voice i mean you think of the the, the example that always comes to mind first for me is the catcher in the rye you know what would that be in third person 
it'd be a completely different book. So, I mean, there's so many examples like that, you know, especially, um, I mean, I'm going on and on, but I'll, I'll you know, uh, what another one, the, the, uh, the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, you all know this book written from the point of view of a young person on the autis autism spectrum, uh, to inhabit that very specific point of view. Mm -hmm. um, and the pitfalls, again, our voice. Right. You want to make sure that this that you're going to be if you're writing a novel in particular, um, you want to be sure that the reader is going to want to be in this person's head and follow this voice for the for the length of a novel. So this better be a compelling voice and this better not be an annoying voice. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, I had some trouble with my most recent novel. I had um, a character who had <clears throat> there were sections uh, that were all in his first person point of view and he's a teenage boy with you know a lot of arrogance and um I mean sort of silly teenage boy thoughts and uh my editor said I can't stand being in his head this much and so yeah, yeah. and she you know she actually had said maybe do we need him in the novel and the answer was yes we do but um but he went into third person yeah yeah I mean, I, I have always veered towards first person as a way, because otherwise I feel like I can't get into my characters. So I want to ah, hear them yeah. talking to me. Mm -hmm. So my first two novels, the first one used two first persons. The second one used five. Oh I don't recommend that because <laughs> you will kill yourself trying to make those voices sound different from each yeah. other. Yeah. And it's just like, why am I doing this? But so now Did I you end up changing third. it to third. Did you change? No, them I kept bottom land is in five first person voices. I just... <laughs> I just edited the the hell out of that thing. So, um, but I'm now working in third person. So, um, no, but I just, are. yeah, I am. And so it's interesting. Maya, have you made that switch of what's going on with you yeah. in terms of first person? Well, so my very first novel was written in third person close. And what I found was that when third person close, when you really, I think, land it or stick it, it's kind of like as close as you can get to first person. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And there's, there's almost an artifice to it. Mm where you're getting into first person voice, but, you know, through like a slight remove, mm -hmm. I think the, um, and so obviously my memoir was written in first person. And I think as I was walking my dog hideously early this morning, I thought to myself, like, I think in some ways when you take fiction and put it in first person voice, essentially what you're doing is in a way writing a memoir. Mm. Yeah. For that person. The landscape of fiction. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. You're, and it's, it's that you get access to them and you get their voice as Lauren spoke about so beautifully. I think it's also that you ideally have a sense of their blind spots yeah, yeah, right. and what they are not seeing about themselves, um, which can be a little tricky. The whole thing kind of reminds me of in college um, when you, if you lived and had a roommate uh, and just one roommate, like the way that you get to know that one person, you can bond with them and get to know them so well. Um, and yet there's always that point where the relationship starts to feel a little claustrophobic mm -hmm. because you're just kind of stuck with them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think some of the pros and cons are sort of like, you know, parallel to that relationship where there's a real immediacy and intimacy, but you're stuck with the person. Yeah. yeah. And so everything they say about themselves, including their past, is tainted by their view of that past and their willingness to even talk about it. 
because some of the some of the stuff that the reader might really need to know about the character, the character is just not going to tell us because they're just not emotionally ready to go there. And you have to be able to follow that. It yeah. makes me think of another great example of the first person um, and the unreliable narrator, which is really what we're you know yeah. touching on here, is somebody who's not giving you the full story or isn't able to. Um, is uh, the remains of the day? You know, Ishiguro does a beautiful job with with the unreliable narrator in the first person. Yeah. Yeah. So you can use other characters and also other realities in the setting in the novel to kind of correct the main character's subjectivity. Um, but it can be it can be a little bit hard. Yeah. Well, one thing that I think is interesting to do with first person, which is what I'm doing now in my third book, is to write it in present tense. And how's that? So we have a question in the chat that goes off of that. So keep talking. How's that going? So I gravitate towards present tense, just as a full disclaimer. Um, all of my work has been in, most of my work has been in present tense. Um, I think it creates a live wire act and you get to see the person in real time, how they respond to their environment, how they respond to dialogue, as opposed to them recapping the minute something is in past tense it means there are narrative choices about what i'm sharing what i'm disclosing versus mm -hmm. in present tense it's kind of like a wind-up toy that you set off into the world and see how um different characters relate to that person mm -hmm. and there's nowhere for the character to hide so you get to observe them mm -hmm. um and i think draw different conclusions about them so yeah. i think it's a way of a kind of more honest approach in a certain sense to an unreliable narrator because you're just having to see it's like a creature in the wild. Yeah, mm, that's really interesting. You're seeing them making decisions in real time. Right. As things, things are bouncing off them and you see them react in the moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And for me, somehow, whenever I see things in past tense, I immediately think, well, where's this person now? Mm -hmm. They're narrating and why are they narrating this? And uh, what are they not telling me? Which is very important for the author to think about. Where right. is my narrator in place and time? And you might not put that in the book itself, but there's implications mm -hmm. of, you know, it, how old the narrative voice is can just tell us how much older the first person speaker is compared to the character that is acting out the story um, yeah. and how much knowledge the first person has about those events. And even judgments that the first person has about those events like if I am am I if I am forced to tell a story about my teenage years I'm I'm a pretty harsh judge of those of those years um and uh and the narrative voice would carry that if I were to tell those stories and there are, there are novels out there where people forget that uh either the novel is written in first person or that the person does precisely what you just talked about so the great gatsby mm -hmm. nick Carraway famously you know it starts off with him back in the midwest and he's reflecting mm -hmm. on that summer that he can't let go of with gatsby mm -hmm. we then launch into the story of gatsby but all along we have that kind of filter of this is nick unable to let go of this summer the goldfinch by donna tart it starts off actually with theo in amsterdam mm -hmm. um you know, again, reflecting back. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about. Um, I was also thinking about Donna Tartt and the secret history too. Looking back in the events, you know, that from this what I call. Um, and I had a teacher once talk to when I was in the MFA program about to the class about what she called perch, 
what is the what is the narrator's perch? Where are we? Where are they speaking from? How far in the future? How close to the events? Uh, as you say, you know, very similar. You know, what do, what do they know now, and what lens are they looking through? Right. Are they eighty five? Are they in their deathbed, or is it? Did this just happen? And you might actually, they, you might reveal that on the page in a reminiscent yeah. narrator, where we actually see the person in the present time thinking back why they have, why they're telling the story now, why they're going back, or it might just again be implied in the book. Yeah. Um, so one thing in the chat, they said um, the novel that uh, Jesse is working on is told in first person, present tense. Um, it is being in the present tense. It is the real challenge as the protagonist has no insight into what's going to happen. And in my case, little insight into his own behavior and motivations. So that is something that happens with the present tense. However, I would argue <clears throat> that even in present tense first person, there is some mediation by the narrator because otherwise it would just be gobbledygook, right? Otherwise it would just be um, stream of consciousness right. um, minute by minute by minute. Right. And which would, and even stream of consciousness is kind of a fake towards minute by minute storytelling. So even in first person present tense, there's still some mediation. And I would argue that that narrator is still like a minute ahead yeah. or a few minutes ahead, because otherwise there's got to be some controlling factor that we have to have some guide into the room. And so always to remember that, um, that you actually aren't relating second by second by second. You can't. That's not going to. That's not going to create a, a readable novel. Um, so, it, yeah. as, like, sorry to go I ahead. Think of it as an aperture on a camera. Mm. Excellent. And sometimes you're opening it, and other times it closes. Um, for Jesse, who is working on this novel, um, one book I'd really recommend. This is going to be a strange recommendation. Is Presumed Innocent by Scott Turow. It was his. The, mm first legal thriller he wrote. It's actually beautifully written. It's not written like a legal thriller airport page turner paperback. Mm -hmm. um, and it is in first person present. And the narrator is someone who is being um, uh, accused of a crime. And we do not know for almost all of the book if he has done the crime. Yeah, yeah. So is his, so the perch is a surprise or no, is it, you say it's first person. It's I'm first sorry, person. Uh, there's no tense. perch. There's no meta. There's no perch. Okay. There's no perch. There's no meta removed. Okay. So my, my term, when I teach for that perch, I call it meta narrators ah. who have some narrative distance and are kind of off on an Island looking back on the, you know, diegesis, which is a story. Um, but yeah, presumed innocent. He's, first person present tense he's in mm. the events he's narrating this wow that's amazing crime and we don't know if he's done it that's very cool and yet the voice is very candid and very vulnerable mm. so i think you can achieve that balance it's just as jesse says it's very tricky and i think the important thing is to mix up how and where and when we're seeing the character so to have different contexts you know, whether it's, do we get to see the character in therapy? Do we get to see the character relate with family members? So to add texture, I think, to that voice so that we can see it in its different cadences. We can see it when it's being defensive, when it's being self-conscious, when it's, being, you know, yeah. so that we're not just seeing one iteration of that character. Excellent. Um, Susan in the chat says also so, along the same lines, lack of ability to disclose in first person present tense is so interesting, but can't the narrator still choose not to disclose something 
or that they don't know something. I write in first person, but find it challenging to give the reader information that the first person character might not know. Do you have suggestions for non-reader feeder methods to disclose information in the first person narrative, present tense or not? That's the problem is that you can't. I mean, the the, the first person that's, and this is, and we didn't really talk too much about the limitations of first person yet. Yeah. Um, and the two big limitations that I, as I see it are, or you can't include information that they don't know. I mean, you could you can uh, intimate it somehow in a way that's somehow a, a sly way that maybe the uh, the the reader could pick up on cues or clues that the narrator, for whatever reason, is not able to see or interpret correctly. Um, but the other and the other limitation I just want to mention real quick, I'm afraid we won't get to it, is that when you choose the first person voice, you're limited by their vocabulary too, and by yeah. their um, in their experience, their life experience. So you're only able to use the words that they would use and the type of voice that they would use. And so there is a straitjacket on the author that way. Yeah, so but, if you're uh, writing yeah, a third grade narrator. Right, right. That just could be very difficult. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that it could be a lot of fun. I don't really know the answer to the specific problem with this book that we were just talking about that the, that the person is working on, but um, it could be a lot of fun to try to find some clues that might tip off the reader without tipping off the narrator. It's sort of like passing notes <laughs> under the desk <laughs> to the reader in a way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it can come from, again, use your other characters because ah. the other characters can poke at your main, your narrator mm -hmm. and force them to think about things and to talk about things and to face things that they're not willing to. And to also tell them things that they don't know about. Hey, dude, didn't you know that Sally was yeah. off in France with Fred? Um, you know, um, using your other characters' voices is going to be very helpful to you. That's right. And I think, you know, it's interesting, actually, thinking about Presumed Innocent, which I see Jesse has read. That protagonist, we see him in therapy. Um, and so, like, that's an opportunity, Susan, in response to your question of, like, how do you give the reader that information. It doesn't have to be a therapist per se, but it can be, you know, a best friend. It can be an insightful, you know, <laughs> neighbor who bumps into your character and asks a question. Um, and we get to see that there's something that we get to see the limits of that protagonist and maybe what they're bumping up against. And what I would encourage, um, so I think what Maya was talking about, about some of the freedoms of, of just writing first person present, and that can be a wonderful, um, you know, try that out, see if that's working for you, see if that frees you up on the page and gets you into the character, yeah. but also try out Christine in the Q&A is talking about trying out different perspectives. I'd also try that as well, particularly at the early point in the novel, like, am I using the right point of view or have I chosen, have I just chosen this randomly? You don't have to stick with that. You don't have to stay with that. You can change. Is this point of view really blocking out um, uh, something, something that I can't do? I know that Celeste Ning in her first novel, um, she was doing close limited third, I think, and she realized it just wasn't working. And so she went to the omniscient and then it became a bestseller. Um, and so I would really work with that. Um, and then Jesse, you also bring up another interesting point. She says that her narrator grows from age 14 to age 24, 
And it's great fun and a challenge to keep the same overall voice, but also make it age appropriate, which Mm -hmm. is something you can definitely do. Um, You know, James Joyce does that in, in Portrait of an Artist and you can see the voice change. You could also perch the voice as that 24 year old telling the whole thing mm-hmm. and keeping that age consistent. So that's a choice that you can make. And when we talk about this, when we talk about close third or even close first, it's when the narrator voice and where they are in time, where they are perched, um, if it's close, then they're very, very close to the character so much so that they're their voice and consciousness also almost disappears beneath the character and the character's voice and consciousness takes over. Whereas if you have a more distance narrator, um, then you might have more of that introspection and looking back. Mm. Maya, I think you're about to say something. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I was gonna say, you know, in terms of, in case this is helpful to anyone listening, my way of thinking about point of view and like the difference between like third person, third person close, first person is to ask like, where's the camera in the room? So if the camera is like 15 feet away and it's, you know, Maya sat at her chair talking to Lauren and Michelle, you know, that's third person, third person close, like the camera's on my shoulder. And it's, you know, while Maya stared at her computer talking, she worried that she was not making much sense. And then first person is, you know, I sit in my chair staring at my laptop and I think to myself, I'm not a morning person. (laughs) Um, And um, the other thing I was going to say, like, I, I think weirdly, you know, the publishing industry in the past, like call it five or 10 years, memoir has definitely taken off and is having a moment. I think some part of that is because of our social media age. Yes. Um, And so I think for those who are thinking about first person, because something is happening in social media, that's never a reason to like pursue it in your own work. Um, So don't worry about publishing trends. But I do think there's generally like an appetite for kind of lifting the veil on life and getting to see how people really like inhabit their struggles and negotiate them. And I know we've talked about like the intimacy of first person voice. I do think part of why people are drawn to memoir and I think why people would be drawn to first person voice that's really strong and candid and is that feeling of like, oh, I get to like see behind the veneer. Yeah, that's really smart. That's very true. and I think, I think there's a, not just a fascination, but a desire to, to relate in a deeper way. Yeah. Sometimes I see Facebook posts that are like mini novels from the first person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You feel that you really understand that life. Right. Yeah. So that puts a lot of weight on you though, because if we have first person voice, we are expecting to see beneath the veneer. And I have sometimes seen first person voices that the voice is not it doesn't have the attitude that we talked about last week that I would expect. It doesn't have the pitch or the individuality that I would expect um, to give reason for the first person voice. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like it's willing to, to, to go into those deeper, more vulnerable spaces. Um, and if that is happening, uh, then I would argue you might wanna use third person because you aren't really using the benefits of first person. Um, and so, and, and, and then also you're also just limiting yourself. 
yeah, you're putting on a straight jacket for no reason. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Why not let your authorial talents go if you can? Yeah. yeah, no, I think it's true. It's, and again, the only, sometimes the only way to really know, like we were just saying, Michelle is just saying is by trial and error. I mean, how many times, I don't know about you guys, but how many times have I gone back and forth? First yeah. person, no third person, no first person, no third person. Like, and you can't just do, you know, search and replace. You have to go through and laboriously change every single sentence. But um, that exercise can really be helpful to go through and just, and feel, like, does it resonate? Is the voice, is it, do you hear that tuning fork sort of ringing or not when you're reading the sentences? That's the right. only way to do it. I think that's exactly right. I also think, um, Michelle, you were talking before about like just, you know, writing backstory, writing things just for yourself, experimenting. And I think there is tremendous use in that. I think often writers shy away from that because it feels like a waste of time. Yeah. I think that time is never wasted. David Mitchell has a recommendation for writers to have your characters write you, the writer, a letter. Like, yes. Dear yes. Maya. Um, and to do that, knowing that it's backstory, and even if like only a snippet of that stuff makes it into your novel, he says it's the difference between like Ikea furniture and a solid antique. Like when you have that, when you've done all of that writing around a character that's just for you, it gives the book a depth and solidity and a heft that you might not get otherwise. Yes, and that also forces, that separates them from you. Right. Because you actually are having the, them to talk to you. And so you're, you're beginning to envision them as, as separate personas. Another trick I oftentimes use is if your character was sitting next to you in a bar, what would they think of you? Um, and, ah. and, and that is, is becomes necessary because they are not you <laughs> again, that, yeah. that problem of the author character narrator verge, um, uh, hopefully <laughs> they might, they might not like you or you or vice versa. So what is the attitude there? And what is the, um, just as a way to find that separation. And we do have, um, Juliet has asked. So we've talked about using this close first person and really falling into it and using its vulnerabilities and its voice. But what if you want to try to find um, some separation in the first person, either in present tense or even using past tense? So, so really kind of um, using the advantages of the more reminiscent voice or, or the, the voice that's speaking um, in more advanced years and looking back. Are there things, have you dealt with that to try to find some separation of the voice as well? I don't quite understand the question, separation in terms um, of- Between, know. again, what the narrator knows and how they speak and how they think of things and even what their intention is in telling the story versus the character that's acting out the story, even in first person, because I still consider them different. Yeah, yeah I mean, I wrote, I used first person in um, my novel, The Paper Wasp. And it was, uh, the reason that I chose it was because of the perch, because, and, and the perch at the end of the novel is a surprise because you don't really know yeah. where the character is writing from, what's happened, where she is. Uh, and the whole book is written in the form almost of a letter to her best friend, who's sort of the subject of the book. She's, um, the, the narrator is, I won't say a stalker, but a very sort of uh, unbalanced character who in, in ingratiates herself in with her best friend, who's a Hollywood star and um, things get a little twisty. 
But uh, the separation there that I found really helpful is, is that, that mystery perch and looking back on the events and explaining them to the friend, almost in this letter form. This is what I was thinking. Here's why I did this. You were doing this. And so I reacted this way. Um, it's a, a rationale, you know? So I think that in that sense, rationalizing past actions, um, from a from a future perch does give some distance and separation and rationalizing why they're telling it in the first place yeah exactly this is why i need to tell this story right, right. um because they actually know the end they know the repercussions mm -hmm. they know the consequences right, one right. quite efficient i think way of doing that can be through a prologue as a frame for yeah. the story to say yeah, like yeah. here's where i am now like the secret yeah. history does that mm -hmm. exactly um and to say, you know, here, here's where I am now and to be transparent about the perch and looking back, here's yeah. the thing that, that I can't let go of or that keeps haunting me. Right. Again, with the secret history at the beginning, it's like, here's what happened. This, this was, I can't stop thinking about this moment in my life when we killed our, our classmate. And then the rest of the story, it's like the mystery is, is out. Like we already know what's happened. <laughs> Excellent. And then the Excellent. whole book is a rationalization or an ex explanation, I should say. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it adds, it adds tension. It adds interest. It adds complexity. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, fantastic. So I love both of these writers, Maya and Lauren. I absolutely recommend you reading their, their work. Um, you will not be disappointed. Thank you so much for getting up early in the morning. I know Maya, I'm actually not a morning person either. Sure you're I not. Really I'm really not. I'm still, my you have us like fooled. You're so wise all the time, even at 7 a.m. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, so um, tomorrow we're going to talk about Third Person Limited Pros and Cons with Linda Schlossberg and Whitney Scher. Um, and if you like what we're doing, um, please share the 7am Novelist on Substack or follow our podcast and, and share that as well. And you can find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. And that's it. Everyone get to your desk. Have a good writing day. I hope we've given you a lot to think about. And thank you again, Maya and Laura, so much. Um, everyone. Uh, thank you for stopping by, and uh, we will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for you, Maya. Thank you.